Hello, welcome to From the Rick Room. We're backstage again, Michael. We're backstage at Watford Palace Theatre. Are, are you okay? I'm really good, yeah. As excited as ever to be at uh, one of these things. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, with us uh, is Geordie today, Geordie. Hello there. Yes, yeah, so we're here at the Palace Theatre for a Northern Ireland special. Uh, we're live on stage. There are going to be four uh, former Watford players. Pat Jennings, who played a long time before we started watching football. Pat Rice. Jerry Armstrong and John McLennan. I suppose out of everyone in that list, Mike, your mum's most excited about John McLennan. Yeah, John McLennan was <laughs> mum's big favourite. Whether I bring that up with him or not, I'm sure he's been told it more than once. I'm sure he was uh, many a parent's favourite uh, Watford player. But yeah, looking forward to speaking to him. But just reading those names off there, they are all bona fide massive massive names John McClellan I think is obviously most recent for us but those you know Jerry Armstrong Pat Rice and, and Pat Jennings huge huge names in in football um, so yeah fascinating to hear what they have to say about their time at, at Watford because for three of them long time before before we started watching um, Watford some of them a long time before we were born um, <laughs> we pro- probably won't ma- mention that when we're face to face with them but so fascinating to hear you know we've asked pe- Watford play- ex-Watford players how's, how's Watford changed since you played that's probably sort of 10-15 yeah, years yeah. ago we're talking decades for, yeah, yeah. for some of these guys so it'll be fascinating to see um, how, how the show goes down and uh, yeah hopefully we'll get to, to speak to them and, uh, and hear how Watford has changed in that time and, and what, a, what a part really it played in their, in their illustrious careers because like I said these guys have, have done it all uh, Johnny, you've been to a few of these they are lovely events lovely evenings uh, to feel Lord Watford aren't they yeah I think uh, like Mike said these guys have, have played at the top level they've had careers after football they've played at World Cups scored at World Cups I mean they are, they are legends in, in, in their own right no matter how big you are if you've been at Watford part of that DNA gets stuck in you and they still come to these kind of events I'm sure you know although they're probably ambassadors and they can get you know they can walk into pubs and not ever not ever pay for a drink <laughs> whenever they're home and stuff but the fact you know Watford did play a, a role in their careers you know at different levels some of them towards the end of their careers some of them at the very beginning of their careers so I'd just be interested to understand from them how how Watford was because as Mike said you know it's, their times or the or Watford has changed and football's changed since their time but if you ask Pat Jennings what it was like you know in the early 60s compared to you know Pat Rice you know Jerry Armstrong and John McClellan in the 80s you know with two of them coming coming up with us and then uh, John McClellan once we were like a, prim, a top flight team a first division team it'd be interesting to see just the, the differences in, within their time because it, it, you know, it's probably as as big between 1962 and 1988, for example, as it is between 1988 and now. And I think that you know, that's going to be that's going to be interesting to hear the, the stories we haven't heard because with so many of these events, you know, even when you get players from the 70s, like you know, we have, like, I think Dennis Booth is here and stuff like that. That's a time before us, uh, before like Mike was uh, saying before, like before we were born. But to hear of the Watford of the 60s, um, to understand how that was and how a guy well before social media you know probably before like telephones were, were st- you know were standard <laughs> left home you know uh, to come to to live in london and play um, and make a professional have a professional career i mean that's gonna, that's just a story in itself and, then, and to go on and then play a thousand games in english football you know it, it just shows that you know the, all, when we talk about the academy and talk about the, the great players that, that watford have produced and stuff you know in pat jennings we've got like one of the best ever so it'd be interesting to hear from them so the uh, Adam sounded like he's doing a sound check out on the stage, uh, preparing for the evening. Uh, and as we uh, stand here backstage, we'll hopefully grab some a few minutes with each of the guys who Adam will be speaking to uh, this evening at the Palace Theatre. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the Rookery End. 
First up, a man who came here, a boy, Pat Jennings, a goalkeeper with massive hands. Uh, every pitch I've seen of him, he's holding his hands up to show how big they are. As uh, Jolly said earlier, he's played over a thousand professional games, uh, retired in 1986, but started his English career here at Watford. So let's have a chat with Pat Jennings. Pat, there's a certain mystery to you for people of our age in Watford because you played such a long time ago at the beginning of your career. Our knowledge of Watford from then was it wasn't a top club. It wasn't this sort of club that had a world-class goalkeeper uh, between the, the sticks. How did you come to play for Watford? I was working in a timber gang in Ireland and they uh, playing from a local team, Yuri Town. And the chairman came to me one night. He said, Pat, I'm putting your name forward for selection for the Irish youth team said what does that mean if you're picked there's a European youth tournament coming up and at 17 I had never been away from out of Ireland never further south than Dublin or I was in Derry I think playing basketball with a school that was it so I wasn't jumping up and down to where the prospects maybe I thought it would never happen for me but uh, it was a year of the big snow and the, the, the trials in Ireland were cancelled but I got picked from Manuri from Newry Town to play for the Northern Ireland youth team but we still had to go down south to play the south to see who was going through to represent Ireland. So we finished, we won over the two games. So now I'm coming to England to play in a European youth tournament. So I was working in a Timber Gang on the mountain in Ireland and I came off the Timber Gang off the mountain <laughs> 10 days later and playing in the world famous Wembley in the final of the European youth tournament. <laughs> so I mean, that was how lucky I was. That was how football happened for me. Back to work on the mountain one day, I went training in Newry that night. Chairman was there, Pat, there's one or two teams in for you. One of them happened to be Watford and the other was Jimmy Hill from Coventry. So I think the deal was done between the two chairmen, Newry chairman and Watford chairman, and I joined Watford. You mentioned playing at the world-famous Wembley. It certainly wasn't the world-famous Vicarage Road at, at that stage. What was it like... A, signing for a professional club, and what was it like playing for Watford at that time? Well, it was unbelievable. I mean, for me, if you can imagine, like, as I said, what I was doing literally a couple of weeks earlier. And, I mean, I didn't realise the England team had played against, whenever I joined Wat- Watford eventually, uh, somebody sent me in a programme to to, uh, to Watergraph, and I'm looking at the programme, and Shaw and Badger from Sheffield United, Lou Chatterley from Aston Villa, Tommy Smith from Liverpool, Chopper Horace from Chelsea, uh, John Samuels from Arsenal, Johnny Sissons from West Ham. And I'm thinking, did I play against them? All, all first division players. Like, that was the England team we played against. They beat us 4 0 and night. We were lucky to get nil. You know, that was what it was like. Great team. But I joined Watford. I was earning on the, in, on the Timber Gang £4.18 a week. I joined Watford £23 a week. Another £2 if I made the first team plus bonuses. I mean, I thought I couldn't believe my luck. I thought I'd won the pools. <laughs> Somebody paying you £25 a week plus uh, bonus money for playing football. Couldn't believe my luck. So, I mean, that was it. Whenever I joined, there was four games to go at the end of that season. Watford weren't in a great position. They were in danger being relegated from the third to the fourth division with four games to go. They didn't play me the first two games because they, couldn't, they didn't know what they had in me. So they got themselves out of relegation bother and then I played the last two matches. First game was at the White City against QPR in those days. And then uh, I started in the team, started the next season and played all the way through and finished up 
uh, missing promotion when they did the beat Luton the last match of the season to get promoted from the, from the third to the second. So I obviously the team were having a great year, yes. and then I was home for a couple of weeks. I got a call then to say that one or two of the big boys were in for me. The great Tottenham Hotspur had come to sign me, Bill Nicholson. So that was it. Yeah. I mean, you've gone on to be a, a you know a legend of the game, incredible career at Tottenham and at Arsenal. How quickly at Watford did you start to? You obviously had belief to get to that stage, but did, how quickly did you believe that you could go on and? Well, keep going for for a club like Tottenham Hotspur. To be honest, I never dr- I never even thought about it. I mean, it was just somebody putting me that first rung of the ladder and me working my way up every match, every, every game. I mean, it was just something new to me. Like, and uh, right away from playing in that youth team to, uh, I mean, even to be playing the Irish B League in those years at at sixteen and seventeen was something, you know, that most keepers would wouldn't have got near that age. Like. And then to become here to sign Watford at 17, and then Watford at 18. So, I mean, that was the way it was just happening for me, you know. Somebody, just another rung on the ladder all the way up. But, I mean, Tottenham, were the, the, they were the great team in those days. Uh, just won the double and first team to win a European uh, competition. But, I mean, the minute you become professional, then the whole thing changed. The fun's gone out of the game, especially as a goalkeeper. Yeah. The name of the game is not to be beaten, you know, or not not to lose, draw or, or win, but you mustn't lose games, you know. Could never have dreamt that it would have happened for me the way it did, you know. In those days, played Gaelic football yeah. on my school days. Uh, played out, played midfield in Gaelic, and didn't realise down the line how beneficial that was going to be to me. Yeah. Playing in midfield, you're getting all the knocks. Everybody's going with their hands for the ball, and. Uh, I mean, whenever I started playing serious soccer in those days, even joining Watford, everybody played with wingers. The crosses were coming in with snow on them. So, I mean, you can imagine my art penalty spot, 18-yard line, picking these crosses up and somebody trying to head it and me three, four foot above them. Yeah. So, I mean, just psychologically, I didn't realise how beneficial the Gaelic game was going to be to me. Like you made your debut for Northern Ireland the same day that George Best made his yep. his debut and then you, know, you finished your career at the 86 World Cup. Is it, do you think that's a possible again for for Northern Ireland to, to come back internationally? Uh, well, I mean, we're at the end of the day too in the national team, small country, you know. We've got to be realistic. We've done unbelievable. Both teams have punched way above their weight. I'd been trying to qualify from joining the, the, the World Cup, the Northern Ireland team, qualifying for a World Cup from joining the team, as you say, bestly in 64. And it was... 82 before we managed to qualify and I thought at that stage I was 36 thought it had passed me by so I mean you can imagine the thrill to qualify and then to finish up going out with the Northern Ireland team and Jerry Armstrong ex-Watford lads scoring the winning goal against the host nation Spain I mean it was on just unbelievable occasions and then I mean four years later somehow we managed to qualify again I had packed up at finished at Arsenal 85 uh, I got an invite to go back to Tottenham because they, there was only one fit goalkeeper at the stage, Ray Clements so I actually went back to Tottenham the last year before qualifying for the for the 86, 86 World Cup and uh, playing from Tottenham Reserves I think I played 10 or 12 games, only played one full game against Liverpool Super Cup or something but I had actually a run of 6 clean sheets which I mean, I didn't have that at 20, <laughs> never mind 40. 
so that's football and I, and I mean somehow we managed to qualify we had a goal to we played a couple of games against Turkey they were in a qualifying group we had to go away to Romania who hadn't been beaten in a World Cup, home World Cup match for something like 12 years we played the great French team in a friendly in, in France Platini and all that lot went out there kept a clean sheet we played Spain in a friendly in Mallorca clean sheet and now the last match we have to come to Wembley to, to get a point, point to qualify for 86 World Cup and somehow we went to Wembley on the night and, and kept another clean sheet I had six clean sheets not me particularly but the team mm. which was unbelievable for Northern Ireland and I mean I finished up then uh, playing against Brazil on my 41st birthday <laughs> in, in Mexico I mean, I couldn't have written the script for that. Unbelievable. Obviously, the, the length of your career, you saw a lot of changes in football. But the role of the goalkeeper has changed a lot since, you, since your retirement. And football's changed a lot. You know, the lack of uh, the, the back pass rule, yeah. teams playing out from the back. Because, because you kind of survived for so long as a professional at the top level, how do you think you would have fared in, 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 in the modern game? Well, I mean, I, I was through all the pick-up. You could only walk three, four steps. You had a four-second rule as well, but you had to get rid of it. Uh, you couldn't pick it up. You know, I've been through all that right the way through my career. So, I mean, if you can imagine in our day, the pitches, the state of the pitches, I mean, we played in the winter with three or four inches of mud and in especially six, eight yards penalty spot. So, I mean, you can imagine people running, giving you the ball back to, to make clearances. I mean, they're bubbling on the way back so that just didn't happen like but I like to think that had I, had I been playing on the pitches of the real is nowadays I could have handled it you know yeah. I'm sure I could From the rookery end Up next Pat Rice uh, who came to Watford uh, at the end of his career as a footballer uh, before moving into coaching uh, so the complete other end of the career path uh, from Pat Jennings Pat won basically the double and a lot of FA Cups <laughs> uh, at his time at Arsenal before moving to Vicarage Road under Graham Taylor <laughs> Pat how was it out there like in front of a Watford crowd again it was, it was brilliant it was, uh, it was like being at home yeah, you talk about home Pat and, and, and home was and still is I guess to a degree the Emirates or, or Highbury how on earth did you end up at Watford? I ended up at Watford mainly because of Bertie May. Whenever I was at, uh, at Arsenal, he was, he was my, uh, my manager. Whenever I was thinking about leaving Arsenal, I spoke to him about going to America. And he said to me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do so, I'd like to, uh, when I finish. He said, I said, I'd like to coach kids. And he said, well, if that's the reason, don't leave England. He says, because if you're out of the circle, you'll never get back in. But the reason why I joined uh, Watford was I wanted to keep on playing. And he was there and he said to me that uh, I'd been for an interview with uh, uh, Millwall and they wanted me to become their manager and I still wanted to carry on playing. And uh, I came back and my wife said to me, have I signed anything? He says, no. He said, but Bertie Mee's been on the phone. He says, uh, you know, give him a ring. So I gave him a ring and he said to me, have you signed anything again? And I said, no. He said, well, Grant Taylor wants to, he will be on the phone. He'll be speaking to you about lunchtime tomorrow. So he asked me to come and see him and I came and see him and we spoke about the, the game and what have you not. And he said that he wanted me to come to be his captain to lead the players on the pitch. And so uh, I said, fine. 
Because you know, a big part of what for that point was how young our team was. I think the the cup final team of '84 was one of the youngest ever. Mm. Um, and was that a good thing for you? You know, there was a lot of young players: Nigel Callahan, Nigel Gibbs, mm. Kenny Jacket, John Barnes, sort of around that time. Dick Johnson and Wild yeah. Sterling. Yeah. You know, so they were. They, it was it was great because it was like um, it gave me a new a new lease of life. Uh, and also uh, after after the second year, I, he then began to bring me over to the coaching side. To, and and so what I would do is if any of the any of the coaching staff was away, then I would fill in for them. And I used to do the evening training with Tom Wally, who was brilliant uh, on uh, on a Monday night. There was there was clearly an, uh, it felt to you there was an opportunity for for you to develop. But did you believe Watford could go on and achieve what they did when, when you signed, or was it were you just thinking, well, this is a good fit for for me as a, an individual? Well, the only thing I would say is is that when I signed, I thought, well, this will be a doddle for me. For after being at the Arsenal all those years, coming here four years, no problem. It was the hardest four years mm-hmm. I have ever been to. The running we did, you ask any of the players, the running we did was unbelievable but all of a sudden you got a new lease of life and 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 all of a sudden with the young players and I mean to say I was there when Barnes he made his debut and I remember seeing playing against him in training and going to Graham Taylor and saying hey this kid's going to be something else and uh, and uh, we all know what happened and you've obviously gone on to work your assistant with with Arsenal at Arsenal for, for for a while how different was working with, with him to working under, under Graham? Graham was v- much more vocal. The sessions that we did uh, was very, very intense. They, they were like, what can I say? It was how you were going to play on a Saturday. And so, whereas if you're, if you're a fullback and you hit that ball over that fullback's head, the opposing fullback, you had to get up and support. The training methods were also very different under Arsene. But I mean to say that there, that there, you play to your strengths, and the way that we played whenever, whenever I was a player at Watford was completely different to how I, I played when I was a player at uh, at uh, Arsenal. Do you think? I mean, it's quite a big cultural shift moving. You know, the, the famous marble halls of, of Highbury to Vicarage Road, which wasn't in a in a great shape back then. Um, and you were obviously professional and you wanted to develop yourself and, and saw an opportunity at, at, at Watford. Do you think Watford missed out on, on other players of, of your stature because they couldn't see what was, what was happening there? They didn't perhaps believe in Graham? They didn't have the foresight to see what, what could be achieved? No, I, do, I don't think so. Because, I mean, to say we're all, we're all individuals and, and, and how I played and how I was the captain was, was completely different to, to how other, other people do. Pe- other people are silent. I was verbal. Uh, and uh, if somebody needed to, to to have be told something, well, they would as well as getting it from Graham Taylor in the in the dressing room, they might have got it from me on the pitch. I think what happens is that, especially with me, is that if you don't buy in to how it's going to be, then you're never going to succeed. And Watford, they couldn't come from where they come from, get promotion all these times, and be so so terrible. Okay, at that stage they weren't in the first division, so they, if the only time that they would play first division clubs maybe is in the cups and stuff like that. But when they did get in, they didn't change their ways. Graham didn't change his ways, and in the first season they end up second in the league. We, we've spoken to Jerry, who scored the first goal. I scored the second. You scored the second. I was going to come to that, and it felt like 
with hindsight, obviously, it's a wonderful thing. There's an element of luck, perhaps, with that with that second goal. You well, the, well, the thing about it was, I seen I seen Southall coming off his line. I admit that it was nearly on the halfway line, but uh, no, no, not really. I mean to say, I sliced the ball to be to, to be perfectly truthful, and it was just that I think that he was an- anticipating a better a better free kick than what it had actually done. Did, did the nature of that win somehow release a bit of pressure? Because obviously, the right first division for the first time for Watford Football Club. I think there was the belief there, is my understanding. But did that first game and the, and the way that first win, the, the nature of it, sort of release a bit of pressure and, and give people belief? Well, I, I would think so. Yes, but never, nevertheless, we didn't. We never went into it with it with uh, any inferior complex. No, nowhere near it because we were playing at home. We were we had worked hard the season before to get ourselves into the into the first division, and we were going to give it our best shot. And and the way that we played in the system that we played, and with the players that we had who were good in the system that we played, we knew that that we would. We th- I think realistically we thought we may finish maybe mid table. Something like that, but to finish where we, where we finish was a great credit to all of those players. A great credit, and also the coaching staff, all of them, and that includes the physios and and uh, and the doctors and everybody. So an incredible time, an important role you played at Watford. Did you have a a favourite moment, a single sort of nugget that you can put your finger on as your defining Watford moment? I think what made me smile was when we played Tottenham down at Tottenham. And I mean, they talked about a great, had a terrific side, but I can always remember playing them, and uh, they had Glenn, Glenn was playing, and and Stevie P was playing, and what have you not. And I remember in the middle of the park, little little legs, Red Les Taylor, he was running about all over the place. And I remember, I think Johnny Pratt was playing as well, and uh, they were he they were running around saying, "Don't worry, that they'll blow up, they'll blow up." They had no idea the romantic <laughs> running that we had done, and we didn't blow up, and we and, and we won the match one nil. But just to hear them saying that, mm. and to know that you were you had plenty in the tank. Mm. And obviously the, the chaps in there with Tottenham, you're Arsenal, better clubs, it would be said, than, than, than Watford, bigger clubs. And perhaps um, some of the, not you, but some people have looked down on Watford, but to, to a degree over the over the years. What do you th- That's their downfall. Yeah, yeah, as you, as you just said. Yeah. But I felt watching the Watford-Arsenal game on, on Monday, mm-hmm. it felt like Watford have made giant steps in, yeah, in, yeah. in closing their gap. But what, what do you make of the current crop? I think I think that they've done remarkably well. I I, I really really thought that they wouldn't when they were in two 0 down in the in the cup. I thought they'll never come back from this. But in fairness, and Troy Deeney, they've got a good really good leader, uh, someone who speaks his mind. Sometimes you would think, if you if you look at the at the sending off on Monday night, uh, maybe his reputation has gone before him. Uh, but over, overall, I think that the manager's done brilliantly. And so, and so has the Watford players. I sincerely hope, and I really mean this, that they go on and they turn over Ma- Manchester City. I really do. On, on the subject of the cup final, obviously you've played in plenty of them. Uh, you won the double. Um, any, any, any tips? Any, any thoughts? That, how might the team might prepare or might, might go out and get that win that we were hoping for? Just winning the cup will be fine. We don't need a double at this stage. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just think that... Uh, the worst thing that could happen would be for them to go out and not give their best. Because afterwards, you're always thinking to yourself, if I had done this, if I had done that, if I, if I didn't get nervous and I, we went out and played our own game, then then 
you will always you'll always think to yourself if we had of and that's one thing that you, that you don't want to you, you don't want that on your conscience you want to you want to know we went out there we give it our best shot our best shot was good enough or our best shot wasn't good enough but at least you can live with yourself as opposed to always thinking when the cup final comes around I wish we had it did this and I wish we had it did that and having no no regrets is is the main thing but I think that now the the, the actual team has got experience in the team as well now we're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! A voice you've probably heard quite a lot on Sky Sports, on the Liga commentaries, uh, Jerry Armstrong. The man who scored the first ever Watford goal in the top flight. Jerry, you've just been out. Uh, again, in front of a Watford crowd, how was it out there in the Palace Theatre? Usual, the fans are great. The uh, Watford fans have always been superb. And um, the three years I had there, they were fantastic, very supportive. But um, I think a lot of that's down to Graham Saylor, who was a fantastic manager who built a, a real relationship between the fans, obviously, and the players. And that has continued, thankfully. We were privy to a few of your conversations in the in the dressing room about yeah. about Graham and some of his approaches, some of the different techniques he used on yeah. you guys. Is there any that you'd like to? Because we're aware of the relationship. You know, he's obviously incredibly dear to our hearts. He means an awful lot to us as, as supporters. But that relationship between him and him and you, you obviously have a fond relationship. But also, he was he was tough as well, wasn't he? He was, but I he, I always think he brought the best out of me. You know, I, I, I give him credit for getting me as fit as I was. And um, when I went into the World Cup in 1982, I couldn't have been fitter. You know, I trained so hard, but we were like an athletics club. Pat Rice and I, he came from Arsenal, I came from Tottenham. And I thought I was pretty fit when I arrived to Watford from uh, from Tottenham. But was I in for a surprise? Because a lot of these lads were like so well-tuned and, and he knew I had more to, to give. And he got the best out of me, he really did. So um, I'm always grateful for that. And I told him that on the radio when he, he interviewed me at Old Trafford. And uh, I think he had a big part to play in my performances in the World Cup in 1982. And perhaps some of the, a, a, a GT-based story that, that we might not have not have heard, not have heard before. There's so many of them, it's untrue. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but he was he was class. Um, there was one. I'll tell you one. I've gone past Casabury Park with Pat Jennings earlier, and I said, "God Almighty!" Hmm. I said, uh, "I remember doing ten mile runs around there," and. Um, we used to do a pre-season mostly, but then October, November, if we hadn't got a midweek game, Graham would sort of say, right, um, we're going to take them around Casabury Park um, for the 10-mile run. And he would take all your times out from the summer, you know, when you'd put some really good times together where you're getting fit. And he would look at your times and then see how you did in the October, November, and if you were still as fit as you should be. And I'd had a cold the day before and I wasn't feeling 100%. And I came in and I said to Billy, Billy Hales, uh, he says, what's wrong? He says, oh, I've got a bit of a sniffle of cold. And he says, do you want to sit out training? I says, no, I love training. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do it. And he says, well, he said, what are you saying? Because we're going around Casabury Park for a 10 miler. And I went, oh God. I said, you know what? It'll probably do me good. I said, I'll go and do it. Anyway, I went and did the run and normally I'd finish in the first two, three, four, whatever. But um, I was about 25, 30 seconds behind my normal time. And I came in and uh, I remember Graham pulled me to the one side. He never let anything pass. He wouldn't let anything slip by. And he called me over and he says, uh, Jerry, he said, uh, I want to work with you. He said, uh, see when we do anything at this club, whether it's cross country, it's sprints, or weights, or circuit training, if you don't finish in the first two, three of everything we do, he said, you're cheating yourself and you're cheating me. 
He said, that's a disgraceful time for you. 35 seconds off your best. And I went, Graham, I had a cold. I said, it just didn't feel great. I said, I did my best. I said, I could have pried off, but I didn't. And um, he told me afterwards that he, he had actually spoken to Billy Heels and Billy had told him. But <laughs> <laughs> that was his wicked sense of humour that he would get, get, get at you. And he did stuff like that all the time. He was always very much in the psychology and players. And uh, there was another one, Sam Ellis was a coach and um, Sam told me the story a couple of years later we were playing a game and I think it was Bolton we were playing at, at Watford and it finished it was nil-nil at half time and we've come in at half time and I thought we were playing not too bad but then that's not the way Graham always sees it <laughs> so he came in and uh, he says right lads he said you know we're going to have to do a lot more and he started going through the players one at a time and then he, he looked at me and he went Jerry he said the centre halves don't even know you're here he said, I mean, you haven't done anything. You've been totally anonymous and all. And I was going, shit, I thought I didn't, didn't thought that that bad. And I thought, well, I better get my finger at second half. So the, the ball was knocked up. I think it was um, the ex-England manager, who was uh, Sam Allardyce, who was playing at the time. And the ball bounced, and I jumped in and hit both him and the other centre half. And uh, I remember picking the ball up and knocking somebody out of the way and, and having a shot at goal and turning around and Sam Ellis is crying with laughter on the bench <laughs> and he, he went like that fishing rod <laughs> hook, hooked and brought in and I went and Graham had a wry smile and I went like, you, honestly you could never second guess him but it was great fun you know things like that and to get the best out of players that's what he was good at obviously you've gone down in Watford history first goal in the in the top flight yep. is that what you had in your mind when you joined from, from Tottenham obviously joining from a big club to, to Watford I just wanted to play centre forward I mean I couldn't play centre forward most of the time at Tottenham because the manager was picking me at centre half and right back in midfield so I wanted to play more as a striker and Graham told me he was going to do that so that was the main reason I didn't know he'd been trying to sign me for a year and um, and he taught me an awful lot actually I think I probably learned more in the three years at Watford than I did in the five years at Tottenham so and they were a big club then yeah. but he got me so, so fit and so focused and um, you know I'll always be grateful for that Did you know what a, how big a deal that was at the time because obviously coming from Tottenham top flight first time ever for Watford um, probably not but uh, for me it was a question of like I have to start my career as a centre forward somewhere and I knew I couldn't continually play different positions for Spurs they had to use me readily there was only one sub allowed there and the fact that I could play in several positions made me an easy target to be on the bench mm -hmm. so that's why I decided I had to go to somewhere else and Watford was a good club and it wasn't too far away and I had heard all about Graham and what he had done bringing the, the club from the fourth to the third to the second and um, I'm just glad to be part of the history. And you, and you did think that he w the, the next step up was going to happen during your time at Watford? Um, about six weeks after I was with Graham, you do, you believe, because he makes you believe. He had everybody all on board. He knew exactly how to hook the players and get them to give that extra three, four, five, six percent. And um, he had us so fired up as a team and he told us what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And he got it right. 99 times out of 100, he got it right. Say 1982 obviously was a big year for Watford getting promotion obviously you scoring the first goal but in between getting promotion and getting that first goal you were in Spain on you went on holiday yeah. uh, and the, the famous goal obviously against the hosts is the is the one that you know I grew up watching that clip on like the VHS compilations of the World World Cup history and obviously that to be a Watford player yeah. was was great you know as a little kid but you scored against France and Honduras as well I did, yeah and then you ended up going to Mallorca so did that did that World Cup and did that 
is that what led you to going to Spain? Was it that, that seeing that 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 different um, style of football and, and put, making your name on a global stage? Yeah, there was three or four clubs. I found out that summer after the World Cup, there was three or four clubs were were chasing me and, and interested. And um, Seville and Mallorca and Zaragoza were the three clubs. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, after about four or five weeks into the season in Premier League, top flight with Watford, I broke my ankle and my leg jumping for a ball. And that put me out for two or three months. But then I came back and uh, we finished runners up. And the offer came in out of the blue from Mallorca. And I had to think about it because I was uh, 30, 30 years of age then. And it was one of those where, you know, 29, 30 years of age, you don't have too long left as a player. Mm. And this, the, the move, I spoke to the club Mallorca and they had already agreed a fee of 200,000 with Watford, which was a big fee. And um, I spoke to them and the offer was so good. I just couldn't turn it down and I thought it's an opportunity to try which n- nobody had really taken the the plunge and Luther at the same time was going to Italy mm. so I knew Luther's deal was on the cards and then suddenly I had a chance to go to Spain I thought well maybe that's the right move for me so um, I took the, the plunge I took the gamble and it paid off because I, I worked then on Spanish football for the next 20 odd years after that so one thing led to the other yeah, because that's what you're known for is you know, for lots of younger fans as uh, your voice on the on the Spanish football. And you know, Watford have had a few Spanish managers, one particular at the moment, uh, Javi Gracia. How do you think that's you know when you knew he was coming to Watford? Did you did you think he's a man who could do do good things for us and do as well as he's done this year? See, I know all the Spanish managers. I know uh, Unai Emery. I know Unai Emery. I watched him. I watched Rafa Benitez when he went to Valencia from Tenerife. You know, and and uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. He did brilliant at Valencia, and he finished fourth. And they thought that wasn't good enough, and they gave him the sack. I mean, some of the stuff I could tell you is crazy, mm-hmm. but I knew that if the right manager took over the club and had the Spanish Spanish mentality, but the drive that Graham Taylor had and the the, the vision to keep players fit and keep them focused they could do well and that's what he's done Javier Garcia's done really well so <laughs> I'm pleased that he's here I'm pleased they've got to the cup final mm. I'm pleased the way they've done it after being 2-0 down and coming back to win 3-2 against Nuno Espirito Santo which he would have loved believe you me mm. you know the two Spaniards would have had fun there's a lot of Spanish managers now you look at Pep Guardiola who's probably the most recognised one but they've they've been in here and they've done well but I was portraying Spain from 22 years ago telling about the technique and the skills the British game was always much stronger and faster and more competitive, but because, because the game's changed and you can't tackle and you can't make the challenges that you used to make and they're all so fit and they're playing on better surfaces, if you get the balance right, and this is what's happened, I see so many Spanish managers coming over here and doing really, really well. Given that you were like a pioneer, if you like, going over to Spain, it's a lot, there's still a lot of British players who are kind of even maybe 40 years later, still scared to, to, to do that. And they don't go, you know, you look at the La Liga, you can kind of name like Gareth Bale, yep. you've got people like that. But you look at the, you look at the English league and, and if, you're, if, you're, if you come from Spain or from Iberia, you, you know, as a player or as a coach, you can adapt to England. But it seems that it's, it's, it's one-way traffic at the minute. And I just wonder, <coughs> given, given that if you had to pick between living in a hot country or a, or a rainy old Britain, you'd, you'd think it'd be the other way. And obviously the money's a big, big influence. But did you, did you find it, it made you a different type of player? Because I know you played like Gaelic football and, you, and, and, and Pat Jennings was telling us about how that prepared him physically and almost yeah. soccer was less physical, albeit it was still a physical game in your day. How was it when you went to Spain? Was Spain the Spain of Goicochea kicking Maradona up in the air or was it you know, very slow passing and you had to really adapt your game? Well, I played at Mallorca and Mallorca played 5-4-1 and I was the one up front, which was a nightmare. 
you know, and you're playing against Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Seville. I mean, we're talking about clubs, Valencia. And um, it was all technical. These players, the centre-halves were more technical than me. The sweepers were unbelievable skills. So it was a different game. And I learned over the first three or four months how it was all based on skill and technique. When I was at Watford, we would do cross-country. We would do lots of physical work, running, weights, doggies, um, circuit training. When I was at Majorca, it was all ball work, skills, technique, head tennis, stuff like that. And I realised straight away that it was different. So after about six weeks when Majorca weren't doing particularly well, and I was one of eight players they had signed, I said to the manager, and I couldn't speak Spanish at the time, so I had to do it through an interpreter, that um, my physical fitness was getting less because he wasn't training hard enough. And I started to do my own training after they had finished training. So I'd do the crossing and the finish and everything else for them. And then when they went in, I used to go and do doggies and I'd do my, my hard work. Uh, I did it on my own the first time. But the second time I did it, there was four Argentinians at the club and all four Argentinians joined in and trained with me. And then a week later, there was another one or two. So it, there were certain players could see what I meant. Mm. And then I actually said that there was no, it was no family atmosphere at Mallorca. There was no camaraderie like I had in the Irish team and like I had at Watford I said you know this is this is strange because there's no players lounge and the players don't associate with each other after football they just go home and they all lived in apartments mm. in the city mm. whereas I want to be down by the beach and see the sea and swim and do different things so they, they were thinking totally different from me and I had a chat with one of the directors who spoke good English and Spanish and explained to him and he said well what do you suggest and I said well you know where I live we have a huge barbecue we've got a private beach we've got a swimming pool we've got all this and I said bring the players down and we'll do a barbecue and try and get a bit of team spirit together so the first one was at my place and then the next one was at my place and then Paco Martinez decided he would have one at his and we changed the pattern of what was what was then poor routine and um, we won our first game and then the following week we won our second game and then we went on a run and we went six, seven, eight games in a row without defeat so there had to be something in it there had to be and um, then my Spanish got, started getting a bit better as well which helped but um, I always think that I was able to teach them stuff that also they taught me about the skill and technique but I've used that over the last 20 years to be able to pick out say this is a player who'd be good. And I've actually told managers who have wanted to sign players from Spain, he's a good footballer, but he wouldn't suit the Scottish League or he wouldn't suit Division 1 because he's not combative enough. Mm. You know, and I think those are all important points. Mm. So now managers, when they're making decisions on players, you have to check, he's a good player in what league mm. and what league are you bringing him to? Yeah. So you have to make those decisions. And Graham Taylor phoned me. He used to phone me and I'd give him advice on players and um, he signed John McClelland. And I told him John was quicker than people give him credit for, which he was. And then he offered, uh, he, he looked at uh, somebody who could take free kicks and set ball situations. Um, and I offered him Peter Kennedy. And Peter came and he loved Peter as well. So, you know, I like to think I knew Graham very well and he knew me well and we got on famously. Yeah. And your yeah. legacy at Watford then obviously helped get us up in 99. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> small, small repayment for me, uh, obviously for what was done for me in the uh, 80s. John McLennan, 
twinkle toes. Uh, he could dart across the, the back of Watford's back four uh, to sweep away a ball, uh, as Tony Coton told us in it. Anyway, John came to us uh, from Scotland, uh, went on to Leeds uh, for more success, but was a major part, God, just a major part of my first Watford team that I remember uh, under Graham Taylor in the late 1980s. So, here's our chat with John. John, I have to get this out of the way earlier. My mum had a massive crush on you when you were a Watford player, so... I'm, I'm a- so delighted, because at my age, it's usually the grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> I see people, oh, my grandmother liked this, or your mum liked me, I'm happy. She did, she, and she still does, oh, she good. still does. Now, I'm going to be honest, I had a slightly different memory of you, because you were on the front of the programme from that 1987 FA Cup semi-final. In that game, that was my first away game as a, as a youngster, and obviously, yes. oh. it, it scarred me, so... Let's get the bad stuff out of the way. What are your memories of uh, of that game? Oh, it was awful. I mean, my actually mother-in-law died. I think I died, and I went to go to the funeral, and I came back, and suddenly it's like, who's this? Oh, Steve Shaw was injured. There's goalkeeper. Where's he from? You know, wine bar manager. I said, come on, lads, stop picking the piss. Who is it? <laughs> and that's what it was. So you try and take care of them, but he seemed to love himself, and you're going. I thought we might be all right because Tottenham never battered you. You know they weren't a, a physical battering team, but obviously from first kick off it went wrong. You know what I mean? And all sorts. So it's a really a, a very difficult experience. And I think that was the one Graham got wrong. He'd done lots of things right, and you think, well, just play Steve Sherwood. Graham called me and St- uh, Steve Sims in and says, "What do you think?" And I, I just said, "Well, if he's injured, he's injured." So there's nothing, there's no plan, that's the only plan B there is. But later on, Sherwood said, no, it was all right, you know, and you think, well, strap him up, and he, I'd rather have him than, because we could protect him as a big lad anyway, rather than put somebody that's completely out of his depth. You know, looking back, do you blame the goalkeeper? Well, you shouldn't have maybe brought him in in the first place, do something else. Tottenham probably might have been there for the taking, but once they score and they're going, Huddle, waddle, uh, dealers, and you're going, Jesus, it's a bit hard now. <laughs> you mentioned that was one Graham got got wrong. Yeah. The one he got right, I think was, I think it's fair to say, was bringing you in from from Rangers, and you're an experienced footballer by then. You had international experience. How did Graham sell Watford to you, and was it a difficult decision to to come south to Watford? It wasn't a difficult decision at all because Rangers had treated me so badly at the time. I actually said to them. They were negotiating contracts. I said, I won't sign a bad contract. Give me a proper contract and we'll sign it. And then they started playing politics in the paper saying I was greedy, holding the club to ransom. I still wouldn't sign it, but it was popular because I was Rangers captain. And uh, so then he dropped me. Then he said he put me out of football. Then they were so bad they had to play me again. And I said, don't play me. He said, you said you wouldn't play me, don't play me. So I said to them, you've six weeks. I said, because your life's falling apart, really, because of what you want to do. I said, you've six or eight weeks. We'll sign for eight weeks to play in the League Cup final and play against Inter Milan, and that, I'll never play for you again. And I'll go part-time and I'll get a job. I don't care. You're not putting me through. You know, Somebody can lift you and drop you and lift you and drop you. So after that Milan game, I was not going to play football for Rangers ever again, whatever happened. So he said to me, oh, Watford have come in for you, go and talk to them. And I said, well, Tottenham want me, apparently. And they said, you're not going to Tottenham, you're going to Watford if you go anywhere. And looking back, they wanted me to join a small club because then Watford wouldn't get any headlines over Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, West Ham, Spurs, um, Chelsea. So that when I left, oh, it wasn't that good, only Watford wanted them. Um, but obviously, 
it didn't need to sell it at all, really, because Joey Armstrong had told me good things about Watford, and uh, I was just happy to sort of leave Rangers at that time. And um, didn't know much about Watford, but I knew they scored lots of goals. And I thought, well, I only have to protect this little bit behind me. They do all the hard stuff. And I thought protecting the goal behind me is the easy stuff in comparison. So I was very happy. And then my first game against Sunderland, when Hard Gale broke the offside trap, and the crowd sort of went, Ugh. and then I sprinted past, and I gave it back to Tony, and the crowd suddenly erupted and went, <laughs> what, what's going on? Because <laughs> they probably, oh, we're letting another goal in. And Steve Terry said, are you that quick? <laughs> I says, yeah. I said, can you hit a ball? Yeah, <laughs> we'll be all right. And I thought, you know, there was Nigel Gibbs. In the, so I found they were quite easy to organise as long as they listened to somebody with an old head. And then the fans really liked me and then they, they appreciated how, how quick I was. But it, all my career, when I go anywhere, they said, you weren't bad for a slow centre-half. And I went, I wasn't a slow centre-half. I just looked that way. And I, I said to people, it's like Columbo pretending to be a stupid detective. <laughs> I deliberately pretended to be slow because I could read the game and I could have that sprint. So a number of times I've been told, Graham Taylor used to say to Steve Harrison, their, their bench is saying, I can't understand what's wrong with our centre forward. <laughs> he just can't run past that old fellow McClellan. And he said, they'd be giggling to themselves because it, said it happened time and time again. And he said, we knew how quick you were, um, but they didn't. So it's a bit of an advantage you have. I think um, even now, uh, any, anyone who saw you play would put you in probably the in the in the Watford all-time eleven yeah. at centre back because of the qualities you had yeah. and the, the the level you played at. So I, what I thought was quite interesting, I read um, an article and it said that you weren't always a centre back; that you kind of put your hand up to play when the centre back got injured. And 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 so f- for me, that's quite impressive that someone who was so so good at a position just happened to get there by by pot luck. So how did that happen? Well, what happened is when I was young, I was skinny. I wasn't so, and I was playing. Um, adult playing four years below myself and was playing adult football when I was 15 and I joined a club called Porter Down which was semi-professional so I, I was a, a Trevor Brooking type I was really small well slight and cl- clever with a head and, but I couldn't be physically strong so I used to play the managers would play me against the good passing teams and maybe leave me against the physical teams and then when I went to Cardiff I was a midfielder and then somebody got injured in the reserves of centre forward so I played centre forward in the reserves at Cardiff when I was 17, 18 and got into the first team and Cardiff got relegated so Bangor City and North Wales came in for me as a centre forward but I played when I was younger at centre back at school and stuff, boys brigade and stuff like that and it was easier reading the game and um, played centre forward at Bangor and then the, I hadn't scored in about 15 games the manager was going to sack me and he got the sack first <laughs> and then I was dropped for the new manager came in assistant manager and dropped me and I went down to watch a game and uh, I think they were playing the Welsh Cup and I'd worked in a fish factory get up at five in the morning processing cockles and mussels and I went back to my lodgings had fish and chips mushy peas tea bread and butter and I went down to watch a game at Bangor and I put my head in the door to say good luck I was about 20 good luck and the manager's shouting at the centre half why haven't you signed your forms to play in the cup and he's shouting at the secretary because there's different forms to be signed and he's looking around, can anybody play centre-half? I'm like, I want a game, you know, young lad. I can play centre-half. When did you last play centre-half, John? When I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said the F word, and said, clear off. And I went to have a cup of tea, and he couldn't find anybody else to play centre-half. Yeah. So he played me centre-half, and that changed my 
McCrea. <laughs> so I was captain very shortly afterwards, and then I got sold to Mansfield, then I got sold to Rangers. So um, at Mansfield, when I went to Mansfield, I played different positions, you know. Mm. But you know, if you're clever enough and you, you, you analyse the position, but centre half was my position. But um, obviously, when I'm playing years above myself, I wasn't physically strong enough to play centre half. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, as, as a kid being really proud that you were the answer to a trivia question about a player who had played in Northern Ireland, in Wales, in Scotland and in England. Yes. How do you kind of get spotted? How did you end up at Cardiff? How did you end up? How, how did your well, career my, kind of progress? My manager at Portadown was known for selling players. So he had a good contact in England all over. So got, got the, And then when I went to Bangor, I hear that even nowadays, players will leave one club and always go to the semi-professional club somewhere else. So they've got contacts. And that manager at the Northern Premier League will, might recommend third or fourth division, their players to third or fourth division clubs. So they have a little pyramid system of scouts and, and people helping each other out. I was recommended to Bangor as a centre-forward, signed for them. But my career changed really at Mansfield because I, I was told I was sold, uh, uh, they've sold me. And I said, who wants to buy me? We're not allowed to tell you. So I had to go and stand in the hotel and wait for somebody to come and talk to me. And this manager says, I'm, I'm the manager of Mansfield Town. And I'm going to myself, I don't know where that is. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a young lad. And it was Billy Bingham. So my career changed because Billy Bingham got us relegated from the third to the fourth division and they sacked him. And six months later, he became the Northern Ireland manager. And the home internationals were going about, and I wasn't selected. I don't expect to be selected. It wasn't even in my mindset. And there must have been injuries. It happens on a Saturday, and a few players were injured. So I got a phone call. You've got to join the Northern Ireland team. And I thought somebody was messing about and playing a joke. But it did. So actually, Billy Bingham getting the sack improved my career because he became the Northern Ireland manager and brought me into the Northern Ireland camp, which put me um, a setup to be spotted. Because people always question, can he play at that level, but can he play at a big, bigger level? Mm. So when you're playing fourth division football, everybody's fighting and scrapping. It's like I said, it's like drafts, and then when you play in the top flight. It's like chess. You've got to outthink people and, and be more clever. And, and the question is, can that player do that at a higher level? It would be remiss of us not to ask about about Graham Taylor, the gaffer. And similar question, the memory of, of perhaps Graham in your, in your time there? Yeah, when I came back from the 86 World Cup, uh, I hadn't played, which very surprised Graham, surprised me, and probably surprised the players. So to be fair, when I came back, Graham and Steve Harrison called me and said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm all right, why? Well, we can't believe you didn't play. Are you all right? Because looking back, at, they were asking about my mental, how I'm feeling mentally and, and how it would affect me. And I remember saying, I'm all right. He made the mistake. The manager, I didn't make the mistake. I was ready. I didn't get selected. So I was quite content and mature enough to realise that wasn't my problem. But looking back in hindsight, it was Graham Curran for me. You know, it wasn't just, oh, he's back and he's going to start training with us. He was a current manager. And there's so many stories, all players will tell you, you know. Um, but no, he's just a really... Now, and he used to say to me when I played for Northern Ireland come back Friday I said well everybody's back if they play Tuesday they're back Wednesday morning why am I back Friday he says because I know you'll be ready <laughs> trusting me and we heard a little uh, potentially you overheard a story about you ending up in uh, Elton's shirt is that correct yeah that's when we went to China Graham had left and uh, the ambassador had taken over but he booked a holiday so we didn't go so we had to go by ourselves really and Billy Hales had had the sack said he, the players can't go without somebody looking after them so that was, tells you that the, the man Billy Hales was that he, he went even though he'd been sacked and Elton came with us and 
you know, it's serious when you're training and playing, but in between times you have a good time. And I, me and Luther sneaked up to, to Elton's room one night and got this, his his room came came down dressed in all his gear, <laughs> and he took it in the right spirit. And that was the, the story about um, Tim Sherwood kicking Elton when Elton wanted to join in. And I'm going, don't and like he's bundled him over, and I was like, he's only here to join in. And I think I'm thinking if he stands in his hands and breaks his fingers, this is this five million quid gone somewhere on a, on a concert. And Elton says he was lying there. It's okay, that's why I'm here. You know, he, wa- he wanted to join in, and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, very, very nice man. Very nice man. So the evening just finished. I'll try and grab Adam in a minute, but what a lovely, warm Watfordy feeling as we were expecting, Mike. But a very different one this time, uh, with four well men as we we we've heard in these interviews who've who've done an awful lot in their lives. Yeah, it's a much broader spectrum of topics covered as you would expect, and as you'd hope. But as you say, these guys have been there and done it. World Cups, European football, played across a period of time. Uh, spanning a you know huge changes in the game, play for the biggest clubs in the in the world, and I think we got that out of it, didn't it? It wasn't. It was never going to be. I don't think. Well, it developed in something that wasn't completely Watford centric for that for the whole time. But I think the the event demanded that, and I don't think it was any less of a um, any less of an event for it. It was absolutely fascinating. Everyone, I was certainly in awe. Of, of all of the guys for different reasons as we spoke to them and you don't necessarily always get that no. I mean I always feel privileged and honoured you, you were all of uh, John Eustace in the last time yeah. <laughs> the last time we did some interviews here yeah, well absolutely and I still, uh, I still haven't washed my left cheek from where he gave me a little peck as he departed <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was certainly, you know, absolutely uh, enthralled by what these guys had to say, and I think the same goes for for everyone who's here tonight. It was it was really really special, really interesting, absolutely fascinating, captivating, um, and yeah, feel very privileged to have been. Here. So let's try and find Adam and grab away with him. Off stage, Adam. How was it though? Was it are you comparing the ones all the all the ones you've done now yeah. live? I thought it was it was really really enjoyable, and obviously we've sort of shifted the the format from when we started it to have those individual chats with each of them and i just i just found it uh, there's not it's not often that you sort of get a bit starstruck mm. but having pat jennings on the stage mm-hmm. you just think he was such an amazing goalkeeper and we should almost be thankful that a chapter that is watford and the fact that he ended the evening by saying that even some of the lessons that he learnt as uh, you know, a teenager when he was making his debut as a 17-year-old, he's now taken that on into his coaching career. And you know, the thing that he was saying about it's so important to give young kids time, especially if they're away from their family, the opportunity to go and spend time because they're still growing, they're still kids. And he's taken that into the you know the academy at, at Spurs and things like that. So obviously he's gone on to bigger and better and greater things, and he's one of the greatest ever goalkeepers. But the fact that Watford played a part in his career, I think we should all feel very proud of. And he was very humble and just funny and lovely. And I just thought it was, I thought it was great to have him on stage. And it was great to speak to someone who played for Watford in the 60s, yeah. uh, which was a time beyond before all of, all of us, obviously. Yeah. Well, I say, obviously, to see myself in the mirror. Not that, <laughs> not that obvious at all. But what I loved about what, how he ended was that he mentioned that the manager took him aside and they organised a trip home for him, um, which he obviously 
meant, meant an awful lot to him. And we certainly in this room think of the birth of Watford as a family club as perhaps in the in the eighties when Graham came along and, and Elton. Whereas actually you can tell it's actually go further back in its DNA because there was the arm around the shoulder then that potentially, you know, you'd heard, heard how um, Pat Rice talking about the, 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 the huge difference between Watford and Arsenal. He wouldn't, if, if Pat Jennings had gone somewhere else other than Watford and hadn't had that family-like experience, he wouldn't have had the, the career, career he had. So to hear, it wasn't a Watford-centric night in as much as there was much more for those guys to say, but I felt that was really rewarding and an interesting sort of glimpse back into the earlier DNA of, of Watford. Did you sense that as well? No. <laughs> I completely agree and I think that the way that all of the players um, connected together and all had completely different characters I thought was was really interesting that you saw Pat Rice you could you could see I could see him on the field just being narky with his teammates <clears throat> demanding higher level performances from you know that Watford side that he came into and that's what Graham Taylor brought him in for which was I thought was fascinating to see him like that but also then imagining him in a dressing room as well being good cop bad cop um, you know and he spoke about his time assisting Arsene Wenger and the fact that you know Arsene Wenger was all very much like just calm down calm down he was like come on, they're, they're not doing very well come on you've got to give them a rollicking and then obviously Jerry's you know used to telling great stories and hearing his his stories about Elton John yeah. and the Drambuie and all that sort of stuff and then, I think the best Elton John story I think so far yeah oh absolutely and then you know the, the John McClelland sort of way of speaking it's just a lot cooler and calmer and he as he was saying it you know I, I was there as a calming influence alongside you know whatever centre half he was playing alongside and I did just have that sort of feeling of calm wash yeah. over me properly and I, I thought you know what if I was if I was playing centre half he would be absolutely brilliant you know deceptive everyone thinks that he's just an armchair and he can't move mm. but no he was he was he had a turn of pace and he read the game and that was you know it was just great seeing seeing him on stage again because it's the second time that he's he's been on stage here and what was great about him i thought he was very languid he was sort of he was quick he was deceptive like you say he was so quick and hard to play against but it came so easily yeah. to him football didn't it and i don't think he he's not ashamed of that which i which came across in our chat i, I loved talking to him he just knew what he was good at yeah. Um, and no, I think he knew that he was good at football because he played everywhere and he's happy to play yeah. anywhere any position that Glasgow Rangers wanted to push him into yeah. uh, and that cool calm you know f- collective that he has was, was the, the way he did it um, what's next who do you want to get on the stage next with you which country I don't, well, are we going back to Glenn Hodges now? Is it, that's Wales? I'm just saying. Effectively, we need to do, just do a, a Wales night just so we can um, get Glenn Hodges on, on stage. But no, I, look, I, I thought um, I wanted to, to do a sort of an event that was built around, um, you know, the Nor- Northern Irish players that, that were there and it sort of, sort of extended into, you know, the four gents that we've had here this evening. And there's no reason why we don't do another... Um, you know, a nationality-based one, but it's it's just it's just an opportunity to link four people together. Um, I mean, if you had a Welsh one, for example, you could have obviously Glyn Hodges, uh, Kenny Jacket, Ewan Roberts, Malcolm Allen, maybe Di Thomas, Di Thomas, yeah. Um, so you know, there's there's opportunities to do all sorts. We could do an Italian one, you could do a Scottish one. You can do any country you want. And now, you know, with our sort of... You really can do any country you want. To be honest, I don't know. I really don't know. And I'm just sort of... I'm glad that, you know, this event is over. 
and that we can now focus on the event of of our of our lives really i think it's fair to say i know 84 was part of some of your lives um and it was part of my life but i didn't go and just get into a cup final i just it's just now it's just I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. Are you excited? I've got face paint and I've got a foam hand. I'm that excited. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait.